0: 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, as you turn, let me again say thank you to you as a church, your hospitality, and the time we've had to spend here has already been great. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do these next three nights. Now I'm going to kind of give you an outline of where we're going to go with this and what we're going to do. I will start with a confession. Most preachers won't confess this, but I'm going to confess it. I'm a long-winded preacher. Okay. Some, a lot of preachers are long-winded. They don't even know they are. At least I know one of those faults that, that applies to me. Okay, um, But because I am long-winded I, and I know that I'm long-winded, I try to make up for that. So this is what I'm going to do. I have a message that I'd like to bring. I believe it's is what the Lord would have me to bring. But because I am long-winded, I will not finish this message tonight. So I will start it this evening. Lord willing, I will continue it tomorrow night. And if this goes as I think it will... Lord willing, we will finish on Wednesday night. Now, there is a method to this madness. You see, you're here tonight. And if you want the whole message, you've got to be back the next two nights, okay? And besides that, you'd have bragging rights. You could say, man, we went to church on Monday night and the preacher didn't finish until Wednesday night. And, you know, you can brag about that one a little bit if you want to. But... Second Corinthians chapter number eight, really, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, as we're in this missions conference and we're talking about uh, and being challenged about what God would have us to do in the area of missions, one of the main things that we talk about is faith promise giving, or perhaps you've heard it called grace giving. And both of those terms are fine. They're good grace giving, maybe a little bit more biblical term, but they're both, both synonymous But if I were to ask you, well, where does faith promise giving come from? The grace giving, where is the biblical basis for that? Probably some of you would be able to answer 2 Corinthians chapter number eight, and you would be right. This is the classic passage of scripture concerning faith promise giving. So I believe in a church like this, probably for many of you, this will be a review, but it's a review not just for you, but for me as well because I believe there are some really great challenges in this passage of Scripture, things beyond just faith promise giving or grace giving, some general principles that all of us as Christians should be reminded about, particularly as we consider our responsibility concerning the Great Commission. Now, Lord willing, in the next three nights, I want to cover the first 12 verses of Second Corinthians chapter number 8. For tonight, let me read the first uh, five verses just to get us started. Second Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power... They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture that we have just read And Lord, now, as I bring the message that you've laid on my heart for tonight, I pray, God, that you would fill me with your Spirit, empty me of myself so that I can be filled with your Spirit. Lord, I pray that every believer here tonight would be filled with your Spirit as a listener. And Lord, that as we hear your Word, we let it sink deep into our hearts and let it change us, that we might be better for having been here in your house this evening. Lord, please be honored and glorified now through this time, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start with a little bit of background of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. A year prior to Paul writing this passage of Scripture, he is with the church at Corinth. And while he's with them, he tells them about a special offering that he's going to be taking up and uh, to help with the, the saints at Jerusalem. And we'll talk more about that later in the next couple of nights. But it's interesting, as he tells them about this offering, the church at Corinth gets excited. They say, hey, count us in. We want to be part of this offering. And that's enough to encourage any preacher's heart. So he leaves there encouraged and as he travels, he finds himself in his missionary travels in Macedonia. And as he is in these churches in Macedonia, he also tells them about the offering. And he also tells us that as he told them about the offering, he told them about the church at Corinth and the fact that they were excited and that they were going to be involved as, as well. So as he does, the churches in Macedonia say, Hey, Paul, count us in. This is a great thing. We're, we're excited to be part of this as well. And the great thing is that the churches at Macedonia jumped right in. They got involved in the offering and they, it was a great blessing. The sad thing is the church at Corinth never made good on their promise. They never followed through on what they said they were going to do. So now, one year later, after he was with them and they made this promise... Paul writes back to the church at Corinth and says, listen, I want to tell you about the churches at Macedonia. And I want to tell you about what God has done there in their midst. And I want to remind you about the promise you made to be part of this offering. Thus, he writes in verse number one, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. What's he saying? He's saying we're we're wanting to tell you about we want you to know about something. We're going to introduce you to something. Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of what? Of the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia. Now stop and think about this for a moment. As Paul's writing them, he says, we're going to make this known to you, something that they did not know prior to the writing of the grace of God. Well, first of all, I think about saving grace. And by the way, can I just pause here and say, praise God for His saving grace. But the church at Corinth knew about God's saving grace. Yeah, they were carnal Christians, but they were Christians. So Paul's not writing necessarily just about God's saving grace. I also think about God's sustaining grace. And again, I want to say praise the Lord for God's sustaining grace every day in my life. I'm glad he didn't save me by his grace and say, now you're on your own. But again, I have to think that the church at Corinth knew about God's sustaining grace as well. So this is a grace that they did not yet know about. So as we look at the context, and this will become more clear as we travel through this passage of scripture, this is a very, if you will, special grace or a very specific grace that he's going to write to them about that God has bestowed on the churches at Macedonia. And thus, by the way, one of the main reasons we call this grace giving. Now, let me just throw this out so that you can put this into your mind. When we talk about the churches at Macedonia, who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the church at Philippi, for one. And we have the book of Philippians, so we know about this church. By the way, the a model church in many ways, particularly in the area of missions. But then there's also the church at Thessalonica. And we have the books of First and 2 Thessalonians, so we know some things about that church as well. And then there's a church at Berea, an honorable church that searched the Scriptures So again, another good church, a model for us, though we don't know as much about the church at Berea. So when he writes to them and and tells them about the churches at Macedonia, these are the churches that he is uh, thinking about and writing to them about. So what's he have to say to them? Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia. Verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. First of all, notice the Bible says that they were in a great trial of affliction. Let me qualify this. You know, when we say a great trial of affliction, sometimes, you know, there are Christians that get that little spiritual hangnail, you know, and, well, Pastor, I have a half a headache today, so I don't think I can make it to church. <laughs> you know, that's my great trial. No, 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 no. <laughs> when when, when Scripture is talking about here this great trial of affliction, understand Scripture says, and history tells us, that the churches in Macedonia were undergoing physical persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them in prison, some of them even dying for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just stop tonight and remind us of how spoiled we are here in the United States of America? I don't believe any of us know what a great trial of affliction really is. Not like the churches in Macedonia. And by the way, there are many places in the world we could go tonight. Some communist countries, some other places where if we went there, we could find some brothers and sisters in Christ tonight who are suffering a great trial of affliction. They know what it is. Even right now, they're sitting in a jail cell while we sit in this comfortable church building. God has blessed us. You know, and that's one of the things that Paul's reminding the church at Corinth. Hey, church at Corinth, you're not in a great trial of affliction. Now, these folks are. They're in a great trial of affliction. But what's interesting to me as we read on, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean to tell me that even in a great trial of affliction, there can be joy. You mean that even in the trials and tribulations of this life, there can be joy. Yes, that's what I'm saying, because that's what Scripture says. They were in a great trial of affliction, and despite that, they had joy. But let me take this one step further, and this might amaze some of us more so than what I just mentioned. There are some who have trouble putting Giving. And joy in the same sentence. You know, there are some independent Baptists that don't believe there can be joy in giving. But, you know, it's interesting because these churches in Macedonia, as they gave, they experienced joy. And I want to remind you tonight, there is and can be joy in giving. Now. You know, I understand that some of you may be saying, now, Brother Snyder, i got to tell you, I, I have not experienced a lot of joy in giving. Well, if that's the case, let me suggest this to you. I believe that for most of us, by the way, some of us have the gift of giving, and it just, just comes natural, but for most of us, we're not like that. For most of us, joy in giving is an acquired taste, You think about that for a moment. okay? You know, when we are first introduced to giving, maybe as a new Christian and we were first introduced to tithing at first, we're like, whoa, 10 percent of everything that comes in. I I give that to God. You know, well, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm going to start that. And then, you know, along comes the missions conference. And then there's that challenge to give over and above our tithe to to missions. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I thought about this experience in my life. When I think about acquired taste, I I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I'm not sure exactly how it is here, but in Pennsylvania, there's one holiday of the year that's bigger than any other. I mean, it outdoes Christmas. Everything in the state shuts down for the first day of buck season. Okay, It is like the biggest day of the year. They don't even try to open the schools because none of the kids would show up for school. So they just shut it down because buck season is here. And I remember that it was a great thing. And I I took my hunter safety course so that I could go hunting and I got that little patch that said that I was a safe hunter. I'd never been hunting before, but it said I was a safe hunter. So I knew I was. And and we got up in the morning to go deer hunting, to go buck hunting. And my dad and I, you know, of course, we're up at like three or four in the morning. And we're getting everything ready in the kitchen. And I'm really excited. And my dad says to me, David, would you like a cup of coffee? And I said, yes, dad, I would love a cup of coffee. Now, I'll let you know a little secret. I didn't like coffee. But you do understand this that if you're gonna be a real buck hunter, you must drink coffee. It's just a requirement. If you're gonna be a good buck hunter, you have to, it's just part of being a buck hunter is drinking coffee because that's just the way it is. And so since that's just the way it is, when dad said to me, David, would you like a cup of coffee? Because I was now a safe hunter. I was a buck hunter. My response was, yes, dad, I would love a cup of coffee. Now, I have to tell you that morning that I had a little coffee with my cream and sugar. Okay, (laughs) you know, you just got to get that thing down just to be a real buck hunter. And and I went out and did my buck hunting thing and no, I didn't get a buck, sadly. But, you know, here's the thing. From that day till now, I have developed a taste for coffee. I love a good cup of coffee and I want to qualify that now. You folks, you know what weak coffee is, don't you? It's a waste of time. I mean, why even put it in your cup? I don't understand that. You know, when you put coffee in a cup, you should be able to put the spoon in there. It's just stand up all by itself. Okay, that's just the way it should be. And by the way, when you have perfection in a cup, you don't mess it up by putting cream and sugar in there. You just drink it black. Okay. Now, yes, <clears throat> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think you get my point. I don't drink coffee now because I'm a buck hunter. Honestly, I don't even remember the last time that I've been buck hunting. But I drink coffee now because I have developed a taste for coffee and I really enjoy a good cup of coffee. You see, giving's the same way. At first, when you get gone, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of cream and sugar, if you will, to get used to the idea of of giving. But I will tell you this from experience and from the testimony of many others, that as we take God at His word and we give what He lays on our hearts to give and do that after obediently giving Him His tithe, you develop a taste for giving. And there is joy in giving. It's an amazing thing to see. And that's what happened. The churches at Macedonia, I believe they gave. And as they gave, they had joy in giving. And they said, you know what, God, we we enjoyed that so much. Would you let us do it again? And God continued to work in and through their lives. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Notice this and deep poverty. Got to stop there and just park there for a moment. Notice that Scripture does not say that their problem was a tight budget. It does not say that gas had risen to over $3 a gallon. It doesn't say that milk was now more expensive than it ever had been. Neither does it say that they were poor. It says that they were in deep poverty. Now, if you put that in my vernacular, they were dirt poor. And again, I want to emphasize something here that I think is important for us to stop and remember tonight, God has blessed you and I beyond what we even know. You know, I, I've been to a lot of places in the world, and I've been to many places in the world that are called third world countries. And I believe I have seen deep Poverty, People who live in deep poverty. And you understand that if we had those people here tonight, they would look at every single one of us, no matter where we are financially, and they would consider us rich compared to them. God has blessed you and I with an amazing privilege and can I add an amazing responsibility. And I think that's one of the things he's reminding even the church at Corinth about because the church at Corinth was, if you will, well off. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, you need to stop and think how God has blessed these churches even in their deep poverty. And he reminds them, and I I love this part, that this abounded, the end of verse 2, this abounded unto the riches of their liberality. What's that mean? It means God blessed them for their giving. Now, let me be very particular here in what I'm saying, because I don't want you to misunderstand me. The health and wealth prosperity gospel preachers of today would have you believe this. Well, hey, just make a commitment to missions. Make sure you give it faithfully. And boys, you give that money. God will make you rich. Name it and claim it. You understand that is a bunch of baloney. That's a gimmick. That's a lie. Can I remind you that God said in his word here that this abounded under the riches of their liberality but they were in deep poverty. God didn't make them rich. They were in deep poverty. But what does it mean? God blessed them. How did God bless them? God blessed them with eternal blessings on the other side of eternity. Now, I believe God took care of them in this world, and we'll talk about that as well. And I've experienced God's blessing through giving as well. But God has never chosen to make me rich as a result of it. But I can tell you this, as I give... I am laying up treasure in heaven, a place where it'll never rust. The moth will never get in there. It'll never burn up. It will last for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I get to heaven, I don't want to stand there empty-handed, not having anything that I can cast back at the feet of Jesus. Oh, dear friends, there is reward in giving, but please don't look for it on this side of eternity God will bless us oh, no doubt. But I'll tell you, the greatest blessings are the blessings that God gives that we cannot see with our physical eyes. God blessed these Christians, these churches in Macedonia. Now, how did they give? What, what was the way that they give? Verse number three. He says, for to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing Of themselves. So they gave in two ways. Notice the Bible says, for to their power I bear record. In other words, they gave to their power. They gave what they could. And by the way, if they're in deep poverty, I think we're safe to say that they gave sacrificially. That's how they started to give. They gave sacrificially. But notice the Bible also says, yea, and beyond their power. They gave beyond what they could give. So they moved somehow from giving sacrificially to giving supernaturally. Not only to their power, but beyond their power. Let me me illustrate this. There are certain things in this building that it is within my power to, to pick up. I can handle this magazine pretty well. I could even handle two or three of them if I really needed to, okay? It's not a problem. I can carry this around. If I wanted to, I could carry it down. I could take it out and put it in the parking lot. It's it's to my power. It's something I can handle. But you also understand that there are certain things in this auditorium that are beyond my power. I mean, I'm sorry. I might be able to move this thing a little bit, but I cannot pick it up. And I'm not going to carry it down these steps nor down this aisle and put it in the parking lot. Now, if I were really intelligent and we needed to move this, I could gain some volunteers who, if I was really smart, I could stand over here and direct them on how to pick it up and they could pick it up for me and carry down the steps if need be and back the aisle. But you see, that would be beyond my power. That is, if you will, with help. And it's the same way. First of all, the churches at Macedonia gave to their power. They just gave what they could. Now, that was not much because they're in deep poverty, but they gave it. And you know what? I believe as they gave it, they experienced that joy in giving and said, God, we love that so much. Would you allow us to do that again? And you know what God did? God answered their prayer. And God bestowed a grace upon them and enabled them to do that which was beyond their power that they could not do in and of themselves, but God did through them. In an amazing way, God gave through them what he might not have necessarily given to them. So you say, no, wait a second. How does this work? How do I know if I make a commitment to give to missions and, I, and I'm going to give something to missions over and above my, my tithe, God's tithe, then, then how do I know if I'm giving to my power, or if I'm giving beyond my power? I have an easy answer for that. Don't worry about it. Just give whatever God tells you to give. This is a simple matter of obedience. The challenge is pray and say, God, what would you have me to give to missions? And as God lays that amount on your heart, give it out of obedience. Now, I will give you a personal testimony. Maybe this will help a little bit. When I first started giving faith promise giving, my wife and I, and that's coming up. We're coming up on 30 years of participating in faith promise giving. I began giving to my power. We gave what we could. And by the way, we're newly married. There's not a lot that we have to give, but we, we wanted to be involved in missions and we gave to our power. Now, we will tell you, each year as the annual Faith Promise Missions Conference was held at church, we were challenged to give over and above what we gave last year. And you know what? God laid it on our heart to do that. And we committed to give more in the, in the upcoming year than we had in the following year, in the past year. And so each year for the last 30 years, I have increased our faith promise commitment. You know what? Somewhere over the last 30 years, I have moved from giving to my power to giving beyond my power. You say, how do you know that? Well, I wouldn't do this, but if I were to show you my checkbook and I'd show you my income versus my outgo, you'd say, you know what? That doesn't exactly work. And I'd say, humanly speaking, you're right. But I'm also here to give you the testimony that over the last 30 years, there has never been a bill that's gone unpaid. As a matter of fact, everyone's been paid on time. God has met our every need. And I got to say, God has given us many of our wants as well. Why? Because you can't outgive God no matter how hard you try. It's just a simple matter of obedience. Whatever it is God wants us to give, trust him and give it. Now, There's one other thing that I have to emphasize here in verse number three. He says, for to their power, I bear records, yea, and beyond their power. Notice the Bible says they were willing of themselves. What does it mean that they were willing of themselves? Well, simply it means this. They wanted to do it. It was not a burden to them. This was something they desired to do. And I will tell you, you've heard the expression, Attitude is everything. There's a lot of truth to that. See, they had the right attitude. They they said, yeah, count us in, Paul. We we don't necessarily know how much we can give or how we can be involved exactly, but whatever God wants, that's what we want to do. And you know what? That's what made all the difference in the world. Let me illustrate that for you. And I want you to think about this. This is really one illustration, but it's two scenarios of the same illustration. Okay, So I am here at the BIMI office, okay? And as I leave the office after a day's work, I decide to go to the flower shop. So I come to the flower shop. You didn't know that you were flower ladies, did you? okay? So I've come to the flower shop and I get some help from the flower ladies because I'm not real good with flowers, and they suggest a dozen red roses. So, I get these dozen red roses and they put them in a box for me, put the ribbon around it, give me a little card. So I write a little card, you know, put that there with it and I pay them for the roses. That's the good part, right? Okay, (laughs) I pay them for the roses and I take those roses and I leave that flower shop and I go to the house. And as I come to my house, I find my wife and she is in the kitchen. She's preparing a meal. And as she's preparing a meal, I walk into the kitchen and I put those flowers down on the counter and I say, sweetheart, I got you some flowers because I want to say that I love you. And I just want to show you in a little bit of a tangible way how much I appreciate what you do and the fact that you're my wife and I love you, sweetheart. Now, I like this scenario because, see, I get a kiss in this scenario. It's a good one. It's a good one. And I'm really surprised that I've not heard one amen from one lady in this church yet on this scenario. But, you, you know, hey, that's up to you now. Same illustration, second scenario. I'm at the BIMI office. I leave after a day's work. I come to the same flower shop. I find the same helpful ladies. They're there and they put these roses together for me, put the same ribbon there, same card, do all the same things, and I pay for those roses and I take those roses with me and I come to the house and, again, I come into the house, same house, same wife, same kitchen, same counter, same gift in my hand. And this time as I come into the kitchen, I take those flowers and I slam them down on the counter and I say to my wife, there you go, sweetheart. You have been complaining for so long that I never buy you flowers. And you always use the word never and now you can't say never ever again because I have bought you flowers. And by the way, babe, I want you to know that we could not afford these flowers because things are really tight right now. So I have left the receipt in the box so you can see how much I had to pay to get you these flowers. Now I've got to tell you, I don't like this scenario because I don't get a kiss. By the way, I don't get supper in that scenario either. Okay, But here's what I want you to see. Everything in this illustration, both scenarios, is exactly the same, except for one thing. It's the same person. It's the same office. It's the same time of day. It's the same flower ladies, the same flower shop. It's the same gift. It's the same wife, the same house, the same counter, the same kitchen, the same everything. But it's the attitude with which the gift was given that makes all the difference in the world. You see, in the first scenario, my wife wanted the flowers. She loved the flowers. In the second scenario, throw the flowers out the window. Here's why. The emphasis is not on the gift itself. The emphasis is on the relationship between the one who is giving the gift and the one who is receiving the gift. Now, listen, we're talking about the gift. okay? we're talking about. I'm going to say it, Pastor. I know this is going to be hard for some money. Whew, I feel better. I've said it. OK, we're talking about money. We're talking about a gift Okay. for missions. OK, but the emphasis is not there, though. I will tell you this. Pray about it because it's important. If I would have bought my wife weeds and rocks, that would make a difference, too. OK, so there is some emphasis on the gift. But the major emphasis is on that relationship between the one who gives the gift and the one who receives it. So also with our gift for missions, the relationship is the important part. The emphasis is not on the money because you see, God doesn't have a money problem. That's not really what God is focused on. What God is concerned about and what we should be concerned about is the relationship between the one giving the gift and the one who is receiving the gift. And you see, it's the attitude that makes all the difference in the world. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. We're not to give grudgingly or of necessity. Why? Because God loveth a cheerful giver. And you see, what God's doing here is giving you and I an opportunity to express our love for him. In a, if you will, tangible way. To say to him, with our actions, with our giving. God, I love you. And you see, when we talk about grace giving, it is just that. It's grace giving, not guilt giving. There's a big difference. I'm not trying to talk anybody into anything in these messages that I'm giving. I let God speak to your heart, not me. You know, it's not that we have to give, but it's that we get to give. And you see, attitude is what changes everything. So here's what I want you to do tonight. I'm going to stop here. Here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to take one word home with you. I want you to just let it sink into your heart. I just want you to meditate on this word from now till we get back together tomorrow night. Here's the word. Attitude. And I want you to ask God, God, how is my attitude concerning giving? You know, perhaps when you heard, oh, here comes the missions conference again. We're going to be challenged about giving. I might would say that, The attitude's not quite what it should be. You know, when we hear about missions conference, when I hear about missions conference, I'm excited. Hey, wow, here's another opportunity to give something to God, to see God take, if you will, my five loaves and my two fishes and multiply them and use them around the world. What an amazing opportunity. And perhaps tonight you just need to say, God, help me with my attitude. Maybe you have a great attitude. Maybe it's just a good time to say, Lord, thank you another opportunity to give to you. Would you stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed? And I just want you to, again, really focus and meditate on that one word of attitude. As you do, think about the example that Paul has given to us here of these churches in Macedonia. They really set the stage. They set the example. They set the bar high for you and I, that despite the great trial of affliction, despite the deep poverty, they gave They gave not only to their power, but they gave beyond their power because I believe they did it with that good attitude. They did it because they were willing of themselves. Thus, that's why God bestowed a special grace upon them to give what they in and of themselves could not give.